0: to mental toughness with dr rob bell each week dr rob sits down with athletes executives and expert coaches to talk about mental toughness and their hinge moment here's your host dr rob
1: The question I get more than anything is why juggling, you know, it's such a weird and unique uh, career choice. Like, you know, where did it all go wrong? And people laugh at that. And then I say, well, I fell in love with juggling because of the patterns it creates. It actually has a lot of math. In fact, the simple basic three ball pattern is actually an infinity symbol. It's because it's perpetual and all the, all these patterns can be created and all the symmetry and all the beauty. And it's like, you're creating these patterns in space, but they're also temporary, and they only exist because of your will to keep them up and keep them alive. And anything can happen and it can fall apart in any second, which makes it even more precious and beautiful. So imagine these are my paintbrushes, and I point to the three glowing balls. This stage is my canvas, and I'll try and paint you the picture of how I fell in love with this art form. And then the stage goes dark and the music goes. And that puts them in the mindset of of where I was and how I fell in love with it. At the end, it's almost like a double reaction of applause and cheers that I get because I've set that tone and I've said my story.
2: Folks, when I finished my 100 miler, I was happy to be done, but I wasn't finished. The reason why my legs weren't completely bonked from running was that I used PR lotion by Momentus. It simply eliminated any lactic acid buildup in my legs and it's the best product I've ever used. Momentus is a leading nutrition and supplement company which works with over 150 professional and collegiate sports teams. No other company has the accolades of being awarded six innovation contracts from the Department of Defense for Human Performance. Since I started using PR lotion, I now use their plant-based protein Collagen peptides and recovery formula. Look, if performing is important to you, do yourself a favor. Go to LiveMomentous.com. And for listening today, you get the best part a discount. Enter code DRB20 for 20% off your order. That's DRB and the number 20. LiveMomentous.com. Optimize perform, and recover. LiveMomentous.com So on episode 110 of the Mental Toughness Podcast, is brought to you by our sponsor, Momentous, leading the way in human performance. Go to LiveMomentous.com, enter the code DRB20 for 20% off. Be sure to visit a few of the recent podcast episodes we've had as well. 107 was Arkansas basketball head coach Eric Musselman. I know you're going to love that podcast. Episode 104 with Hunter Scott. It was Tragedy, Triumph, and Truth about the USS Indianapolis. And if you dig this podcast, please leave a review, a comment. They really help. Our guest today, I met him on a Disney cruise where he was one of the headliners, saw two of his shows, which were fantastic. And said, I have to have this guy on the podcast. Uh, I got to run with him a little bit on deck as well, which is fantastic. Um, our guest won a world title in juggling at age 19. He's a two-time world champion. He was on Go Big Show uh, this year. He was on The Tonight Show. He was a finalist on America's Got Talent. He's performed for United Airlines, Goodyear, Cleveland Clinic, Kraft Foods, uh, among many others. He's a contracted performer with Disney. Which will tell you about like the expertise, and this guy is just absolutely amazing. His goal is to bring juggling into the next century. Our guest is Charles Hechak. Charles, my man, thanks so much for joining us, buddy.
1: It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: So, I mean, let's let's start with this, man. You spoke about like, you know, one of your biggest blessings at, at age eleven. You knew what you wanted to do. I mean, take us back to that time, man, and finding out about that process and and how you were kind of blessed with knowing what you wanted to do.
1: Yeah. I always tell people that's, uh, that's the biggest gift uh, that I was given. And to be honest, I feel like anybody who excels at what they do, their craft at a very, very high level. It's not really by choice. Nobody's like uh, says, you know what? I want to be, make money. And I, and I you know, I want to be, have some fame. And so I'm going to learn golf. That's not the way it works. It, it chooses you. You have to have this fire that The money and fame are not strong enough to get you that good and to get you that level. You have to have that fire in you. And that fire was found at a very young age. Uh, Like a lot of people that you interview, I'm sure they've had a passion for a very long time and it's just embedded in them. And that is the only way I got to the height that I. I've achieved. Um, and uh so that was a very, very large blessing and something that I'm always thankful and humble to. And I always serve it. I always serve that voice and that fire. And it's it's kept me warm and provided for me, basically.
2: And how like how what was that introductory piece like when you really got into it and then you know, you knew, hey, this is what I want to do?
1: Well, it was I always liked uh I was introvert. In fact, when I was young. Uh, I almost went to a specialist. My parents almost took me to a specialist because I didn't talk. And so people always are amazed by that because they see me on stage. And you know, I'm moving, I'm talking, I'm choking, everything's moving fast pace, and I just seem so at home, uh, speaking to thousands of people. But that definitely did not come natural to me. And uh I think uh when you don't have that, you, you know, you're not part of uh the social circles that you get introduced to, whether it be family or friends or school, uh, you know, you had that need becomes a little bit stronger. And so I always like magic, anything that basically I could do and get some kind of attention without having to uh, be the life of the party. Uh, So I like that magic when I was about eight. And then one of my friends who was uh, into magic, he also did some juggling. And so uh, he kind of taught me and I was like, that's kind of silly. But I was like, as I started to learn it, I I realized that this is something that you can kind of pour yourself into. You don't need to buy any props you don't need to like you know go to the magic store. This this comes from your own will of of determination to to get to achieve this goal, and so I really liked that. And then I started getting noticed, you know, by other because there was juggling clubs and everything, and people were noticing my progress, my rapid progress. And at that age, you know, I just wanted to be accepted, you know, to have some kind of uh, you know feel special about something you know so that gave me that so that just poured gasoline onto the fire that was already going i really enjoyed uh what i was doing anyway and that would just add an accelerant to it and then that's around at that point i'd probably been doing it for about two years when i you know started learning and reading about and seeing videos of people actually making a living doing this and i was like that's it this is all i'm gonna do and blinders went on tunnel vision happened and I'm glad it did. And I didn't have any distractions. Um, you know, I went right, didn't do college. I, uh, I basically, everything was about, uh, my craft and, uh, being the best at it.
2: And what was that, you know, when you put the blinders on and you got to practice in the creation process has to go through it, like walk us through, like what would you know, kind of like a typical week look like in terms of how hard and how much effort and practice you would just put into it in those, those early days.
1: Right. Um, and that's what I said, you know, those are your woodshed days, you know, when you're young and people say they see me and they, you know, they hear I practice every day and it's true, but it's not like I, I practiced when I was young, when I practiced when I was young and, and honestly, people don't understand how physical juggling is too. Um, if I still practice at that level, my body would put up a little bit of a fight basically and so I'm trying to preserve you know my technical ability and my ability so rather than trying to get better I'm trying to like not lose any ground and to be honest getting better really isn't going to serve my audiences um and it's not going to serve my career and I've gotten a lot more passion out of uh moving my show forward you know giving the audience something different and that's actually where my interests have moved to but I still don't ever want to relinquish All those work years I put in. So when I was young, and it's so funny actually, it's always pops into my head just to sound like uh, an old guy. I used to go up the hill like in the snow, and you know, practice. But I did. I was like, I would take my prop bag. I lived in Northeast Ohio. Didn't matter how cold it was, I would go walk and go to my uh, practice facility, and it was uh, like an abandoned auditorium was rarely used in the university. And I would have to move around. It's like every once in a while, like something would get renovated or they decide to start using another building. I'd have to find somewhere else because you need high ceilings. You need high ceilings and preferably no wind. Um, and so I used to go there and I had my little uh, boom box I used to carry with me too. And then I'd go there and put on music and then just woodshed like three, four hours, um, sometimes longer. I remember actually uh, my hands used to Break like I used to bleed, like on the uh, in between my fingers and things like that. And I wouldn't even practice through that stuff, so it was definitely a real fire. It's something I really enjoyed. And I remember thinking to myself at one point, um, if nobody ever sees me juggle again, I'm gonna keep practicing. You know, it wasn't because I wanted everybody to see it, it was because I wanted to do this for myself. I wanted to see myself achieve the level that I wanted I wanted to see my my will make this happen and that gave me joy internally so that kind of passion you have for something it really was like I said a blessing
0: hey good looking if you like this podcast and are already a badass but it's all way too complicated then visit our website DrRobBell.com and schedule a call with us to help capture your very own hinge moment.
2: Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us about like, what were some of those moments um, throughout your process, throughout your journey, especially early on where it was like, okay, you did start to get noticed, right? This was like, okay, well, I do get the adulation from it because of all the hard work I put in, but what were some of those moments where it was like, wow, I I am pretty good at this.
1: Yeah. I mean, those all happen in micro moments. Um, it were, especially when it comes to the, the juggling stuff. Um, you know, you're on the floor in, in a juggling convention and you're, and you're doing a trick and all of a sudden you see like somebody like that you really look up to all of a sudden they're looking over at you, you know, and they're watching you and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, um, this is a guy I look up to and he's like, and then they come over to you and they, you know, ask questions and, you know, it's all those micro moments of, uh, you, know, you know, you pulling off a trick that you never thought you could pull off. Um, and those are little markers that just kind of keep you motivated and keep you going.
2: You know, you talk about the micro moments. Let me fast forward here to kind of like current day and, and yeah. your stream of consciousness and when you're preparing. And let me preface this a question. Talking with some elite divers, even tandem, I would talk about, you know, well, how do you know exactly like where your partner is? And they said, well, they can, you can kind of see them.
0: Yeah.
2: And I was like, it was, it was beyond comprehension to me because I was like, you're from 10 meters up. You're diving at a rapid rate speed and you can sense where they're at. My question for you is: When you are performing, like, is there sort of like an automatic disconnect you have and engaging with the audience at the same time that kind of takes place?
1: It's so funny. Um, you know, it's it's hard to explain um, yeah. what that feels like, but you have muscle memory and that just basically kicked in um there are a couple tricks where i'm like okay the lighting's a little tricky here i'm not going to be able to see the prop that well or or you know this is a really difficult part and my shoulders are sore, sore so i have to really focus on getting in and out of this trick like you know there are moments where you very very small moments where we kind of have to focus on a difficult part for you that's not Uh, in that muscle memory or, you know, for some reason you're tired or whatever it is. But for the majority of the time, 99% of the time, like I'll kind of be on autopilot my body is anyway. And I know the routines so well too, the choreography. Um it's so embedded and it has to be. Juggling is one of the most inconsistent things you'll ever try and do. It's like it's like a golf swing. You know, it could just one day it could just, you know, take a slice or um or gymnastics, you know, it could you could just have a bad slip on a move you've done a thousand times. But it's even worse than that. <laughs> Juggling is. Um, so um what was your question again? I kind of went off on a tangent.
2: No, no, no. And I appreciate that. I mean, question yeah. kind of like the stream of consciousness when you're actually, got it, got it. You're, yeah, you, yeah, you've got a lot yeah. of different modes going on.
1: Yeah. So you, well, you do, you have uh, the mode that's, you know, executing, you're executing the, the, uh, the technical stuff. Then you have a mode that's gauging your audience and delivering your lines. So basically you have to read the audience, what they're liking, what they're applauding for, and then what they're laughing at. And, and, and you have to basically take all that in and adjust your performance in order to get the delivery perfect for them. Then you're thinking about uh, the technical aspects like the lighting and um, even the ship moving maybe or a, a prop isn't working the way you exactly want it to or um, the screen isn't working. You know, it's like so there's all these different things happening and you I'm juggling while I'm juggling. Basically, um, it's not like um an athlete that's trying to do a shot put you know uh one throw I'm there's multiple threads happening and luckily the juggling is you know so ingrained and so solidified that that can actually almost take a backseat and there's been some times where I've moved into a, a hypnotic state where you're on autopilot and I'm thinking about um what I need to pack like for my next gig or you know uh what I'm gonna Eat when I go home, or whatever it is, like I'll, that'll happen on stage in front of thousands. I'll, I'll do that. I try not to. And it doesn't really ruin the audience experience um, because there are moments that I don't need to be engaged with them. Usually, those are moments during technical juggling. It's not usually when I'm interacting with the audience and doing comedy and things like that, that I'm almost always present. Um, but yeah, that definitely happens. And it's fascinating to me. Even to this day, I'll catch myself on stage. I'll be like, this is. Crazy, like I'm doing, you know, five ring tricks and all this stuff like that. But I'm thinking about how we need to have more butter, like in the fridge when I go home. Yeah. So it's odd, and I almost feel I feel bad, you know. A lot of times, like I don't want to ever disrespect the the time that my audience has given me. Uh, but it's just uh, it's just one of those things that just happens, and it really doesn't take away from the audience experience. So I guess there's really no harm in it.
2: Right. Right. No, I find that fascinating because it's the power of the mind, right? I mean, it's. The ability to be at your utmost yet still have different thoughts that just kind of pop in and it, and it doesn't take away from the experience at all. It, it even just kind of, it's just how much you have that routine down in terms of- Yeah, I guess it's, like it's like bandwidth. Yeah.
1: It's like, it's like, I have that so, uh, you know, so down that it doesn't take up much bandwidth. It's, it's so programmed in that I have other bandwidth that I can, my mind sometimes wonders-
2: yeah what would be an example of like you know an adjustment in show that you kind of make You're reading the audience what, what would be an adjustment that that you would take um
1: uh sometimes i'll move routines like so i'll feel like uh there's a kid routine i do sometimes and it's like okay well i i see a kid I see that this audience could possibly have kids. So I'm like, okay, now I'm go ahead and I'll try and do this routine and, and fish out the audience. And if not, I have some kind of backup in place and I'll go ahead and, and do that. Or sometimes um, I'm doing a bounce, I'm doing a routine and I haven't like tested the floor. There's a thing I did with a, a hat where it's like dance and juggling. It's like swing music. I don't know if you remember that, but basically sometimes I don't have time to test out the floor. We're like going, 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 and then the curtain's up and uh, there are bad spots on the floor. And so uh, it won't bounce correctly. And there's nothing I can do technically to fix that. And there's nothing to do with my skill set. It's like, it just won't work. Um, and so then I'll have to like kind of move around or alter tricks or not include that trick because it's a risky trick on a floor that's like maybe not good. So those kind of things I do. And then there's problems technically, like um, like I said, like uh, the the video screen isn't working. Now I have to, you know fast forward and, and somehow make this next bit work in the transition happen. And it's, you, you gotta, you gotta be on your feet and you gotta, you gotta understand all the situations and those X factors and you have to be able to deal with them. And really that comes, that's really um comes from all those years and and kids that, that are really good technical jugglers. They can look at my show because this is what's happening with the younger generation. Sure. You'll, you'll see it in all disciplines where like 10 years, the talent grows by like twofold. you know, And in 20 years, it's like fourfold from what it was 20 years ago. So it's happening in our field too, in juggling. Uh, But they're not making that transition to stage um, because they're getting their approval on the internet. So they have a different medium in order to become stars. Um, So none of them are learning how to perform. And so they'll see me on stage sometime and they'll be like, well, I can do that trick and I can do that trick. Yeah, but you can't do the mental juggling and you can't deal with all these situations and you don't know how to the tech uh, you know all the theatrical aspects of it and if you you just can't do it because you have to there's the only way and there's also pure stage comfort um there's a great book about david copperfield's manager and he said a uh, great quote that it takes 10 years uh, and there's no way around it you can't practice your way into it the only way to do it is be on stage right. for 10 years And that's when, that's the only time you're actually comfortable in your own skin and you can talk to the audience and they feel that comfort and they see it in your body language. They hear it in the tone of your voice. Um, So that's basically, uh, I almost feel like I have really good job security because maybe there's these amazing kids, but, and I really love watching it, uh, but it's, they can't transition into the the mental gymnastics that I'm doing on stage and all the experience that I have of just doing this for over 35 years.
2: Yeah, absolutely, man. Tell us about the connection that you have on like your best nights with the connection, like with the audience, what does that feel like for you and and how you know you're connecting?
1: It has to really be, um, it's really about them. You know, it's like how much, in a good mood are they you know what's the setting like Disney actually has a great setting because everybody's just so in love with the brand and they trust it so much that they come to the theater expecting and ready and willing you know they, they, they want to see a good show and they're of that mindset like this is going to be great we're in a Walt Disney Theater whereas you go on other venues like a corporate event and they're like, oh, what did what did Sally from you know the the secretary book this year? Like, what are we gonna have to sit through, you know? Um, so <laughs> you never know what your audience is gonna be, but Disney definitely sets it up right uh, because they have that brand and they have that trust. And so usually there's some of my better audiences, uh, but they'll be off nights too, like we miss a port, you know, everybody's in a bad mood, or you know, the weather's bad and the ship is rocky, or just um it's there's there's all kinds of things that can get in the way. But when an audience is good. That's when I, you know, I turn it up just naturally. But here's what's interesting is if an audience is bad,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I will I will work so hard um, not to really win them back, but just so like I can step off stage and I can say that was not me. That was them. And audiences are going to vary. You know, they never really go bad. Uh, But it'll be a varying degree between like a seven and a 10, you know, in my experience at this point uh, in my career, because I usually don't get booked into bad situations. And, you know, I'm adept enough to deal with anything and become a better performer. So usually the number is between seven and 10. But if I feel like I get an audience that's a a six, as long as they're better than when I came, you know, when when we started, I've done my job. And like I said, I work so hard not to really win them. Sometimes that happens too. And sometimes they're just unwinnable. Uh, but I just want to leave that stage and just be like, it wasn't me. I did everything I could and I'm holding my head high.
2: Yeah. And I, I love that take, man. Cause you and I even spoke about that briefly just on our, uh, I, I, on that on our came to me actually deck. when,
1: when I, when I was saying it, I was like, oh my gosh, I've already talked to you about this. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the pieces about your show that I just thought was fantastic was the integration of, um, and I think we'll get into the comedy piece later, but even just like the music, right? Talk to us about, because your parents owned a record store, like talk to us about how that got integrated and how well you started implementing that into your show.
1: Right. Um, You know, my parents owned a record store. It was very um, different. Um, They came from a very blue collar life. My dad was a steel worker, former army guy. Uh, My mom was a housewife, and it was a big change, um, and they took a big risk. Uh, They just had a passion for music. Neither of them really could play or sing or anything like that, Um, but they loved music, and I grew up around it, all kinds of styles, too. Um, And then I gravitated toward musicians uh, myself, because when I was growing up, the people I identified with were other artists, other performing artists, too, and really there weren't a big it was in a small town. It's not like there was a lot of magicians and, and jugglers and acrobats or anything that of the variety field. So I gravitated toward that and I picked up a couple of instruments and I actually got into drums. And so that was kind of my instrument. Um, and so that actually gave me a good bedrock too, to understand uh, choreography and divisions of music and, and beats and all those things like that. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like it's a big part and it's a, it, for magicians and jugglers, a lot of times they they, they don't focus on that. It's uh, music is the most uh, uh, elicits the most emotion out of any of the senses. Hearing mm-hmm. does, and so I try and leverage that, and I try and combine the visual with that emotional experience that the audience gets from um, music. And and you tie those two together, and it just becomes that much more powerful.
2: And what's the difference for you from like playing Beethoven? as to as opposed to playing something that just might be more popular,
1: um you know there are moments for those songs i I mean I love classical and I love the 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 composition the the brain power it takes to come up with with stuff like that and the technical ability too, but I try and keep my show nowadays current, like you know you want it not really pop but you definitely want it to feel like it's today you know it's like in today's scene so you use today's music um for the most part something that even even if it's not even if it was written 20 years ago it sounds like it could have been released on the radio today um so i try and have that flavor to all my music elements and anything i bring in uh to the show just the way just so it can give the the show an updated feel and so that's usually what dictates my music selection. Does this sound like it could be on the radio? Because that's how your show would be perceived. If I went up there and everything, I use 50s and 60s music for everything. It just would have a totally different feel um, and look and, and impression that it would give on people. Uh, so yeah, that's that dictates my song selection a lot is, could this be on the radio today?
2: Yeah. No, that's fantastic, man. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I mean... You talked about kind of the different gears that you have for like a show and you kind of mentioned it before, right? It's not always about like you make it where it's not about you. It's not about like doing this other trick to wow them, but it's like, you talk to us about those gears, like a first and second gear of your performance and, and how you like translate from that.
1: Right. And, and a lot of people I tell them, uh, in practice, like, you know, mostly I'm in fourth, fifth and sixth gear, you know, and the show maybe one or two tricks will slip into fourth gear I'm, I'm speaking about difficulty level you know um and i you have to do that because i was telling you juggling is one of the most inconsistent things you'll, you'll ever do um so you have to i have to pull back about you know 60 percent of like what i'm actually able to do you know the skill level has to drop from an eight in practice To maybe at the highest five on stage, just because you have all these elements. I have to hit my choreography. I have lights in my face. I have you know, audience, a live audience. I have to transition from one trick to another. So, it has to be so perfect. And you know, my my ball routine between three, four, and five. You know, it's about eighty tricks in there. If I had uh, every single one of them, oh, I can get this one out of twenty times. Well, that, that just translates into four drops. And that's just the trick, that's not transitioning and choreography and hitting your mark and all these other things, so I really on stage, you know I'm in first, second, and third gear for the most part, and those are give me enough bandwidth to focus on my audience and focus on my choreography and where I'm at and how the feel is for everything and should I move to this bit or that bit, and should I get eggs when I get home?
2: Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, gives so me I'm, that bandwidth yeah and, and charles i'm I'm fascinated by that. And I get it kind of on the cerebral level. I think that people are listening. Can you delve into that piece just a little bit further? Unpack sure. a little bit more about like the intricacies about like a first, second, and third gear as opposed to, you know, the fourth Oh, gear. okay.
1: So like, you know, first gear would just be, um, you know, some simple uh, three ball tricks that I've learned within my first, like, few years of juggling and some of them are still on the show because they're they're visually appealing Mm -hmm. and audience can follow it and to be honest some of the tricks that work the best are tricks that audience can understand like you know going uh, a a three-ball three-ball shower they go in a circle and that's how people think juggling is anyway and they're like Mm -hmm. oh i see that and then that becomes appealing to them because their brain can understand it um but you know and then second gear would be you know just it's just the difficulty level. You know, it's just like, how how difficult is this trick? What's the risk factor? How likely am I to drop? How much focus do I need to give this trick? And then there are some tricks, like some five ring tricks, um, some five ball tricks that are in third gear, where even though I've been doing these for, you know, over two decades, they still like, eh, there could be a problem. I'm, I'm going to watch this, you know, um, and I'm going to try and really Li- buckle down and, and laser focus on where my hands are and how this trick feels and how i'm transitioning in and out um so it literally just one two three just means the difficulty of the trick mm-hmm. and tricks that are in third gear do get more of my attention more
2: so give us an example of because you were talking about the audience even just kind of recognizing what is coming and what's the trick and everything what would be an example of Something that like the just audience doesn't see it coming; it doesn't quite relate to them, and you have to like go above and beyond to make sure they they just kind of make that mental connection. If that makes
1: I, sense. I I I avoid those tricks on stage. Any trick that I do, and the audience is like, I don't get it. Like those tricks just don't belong on stage, and that's do have, actually. Do you have an example? Um, I'm trying to think of, and that's the thing. Like I've I've so um gutted tricks um for because i've been performing for you know over 20 years and i've just taken those out of my um i guess like there's a lot of patterns like that that they're just complex um that just aren't symmetrically appealing you know it's almost like it's almost like musicians like writing a riff or doing a chord uh composition that just Mm -hmm. is like off tuning and and as a musician you're like oh wow that's super creative wow how did he find that fingering but to an audience's ears that's untrained they're like did he mess up you know and so i guess that would be the the best correlation i could i could give where you know it's not vanilla not their brain can't absorb it it's not it's not appealing it's, it's it's way too complex and they and they can't understand the intricacies that go into a trick like that and so they just don't appreciate it or don't like it. And like I said, it's like the same with musicianship, like, you know, prog rocks, you know, jazz guys, like the lay people, they want to hear Katy Perry. They want to hear like something easily digestible. And I guess that goes for the visuals too. If it gets too complex or if it's too lopsided um, and doesn't have that symmetry and easy to understand when they look at it, then it's not as appealing to them. I guess that's the best way I can explain it. Yeah, no, and
2: that's fascinating, man. I appreciate you you know, making that, that crosswalk over for us, (laughs) you know, is that one of the reasons why that you'll have, you know, you'll go dark in your show and then have the, uh, you know, the neon. Cause I mean, that definitely changes the appeal into it. Yeah. And you know
1: what? Uh, I just started adding this little um, speech before I, now I, and this isn't talking about the whole glow spectacle where it's like the Mm -hmm. suit and all these other visuals. This one is in the adult show that I do, where it's just the glowing balls. There's just five balls. I start with three then I move to five and they're just lit balls that kind of like just slowly morph and change their colors. Yeah, I love that. So it's funny because I've been doing this routine so long. It's probably one of the oldest bits in my show. And I haven't changed the music either. And this is actually uh, a piece that I thought of when you were talking about using classical music and things, your show, because it's a little bit of new age. It's a, it's almost like a, what they do in spots it's Anya an song, mm-hmm. uh, but it shifts the gears of the show. And kind of gives an artistic moment, which is what that routine is about. So I just used to do the show. I just used to do that part. But now I kind of changed the verbiage of it. And we got a great reaction for, for all the years. Obviously, it stayed in my show for over 20 years with the same piece of music. Um, so obviously, it's effective. But I found this speech I just started doing in the past month. And just elevate the the audience's experience and the reaction at the end and i'll try and it's so funny i can say it while i'm stage, but if i'm not on stage it's my brain doesn't go into that mode but basically i say i fell in love uh, a lot of people ask you know how did you how did you the the question i get more than anything is why juggling you know it's such a weird and unique uh career choice like you know where did it all go wrong and people laugh at that and then i say well I fell in love with juggling because of the patterns it creates. It actually has a lot of math. In fact, the simple basic three-ball pattern is actually an infinity symbol. It's because it's perpetual. And all all these patterns can be created and all the symmetry and all the beauty. And it's like you're creating these patterns in space, but they're also temporary. And they only exist because of your will to keep them up and keep them alive. And anything can happen, and it can fall apart in any second, which makes it even more precious and beautiful. So imagine these are my paintbrushes, and I point to the three glowing balls. This stage is my canvas, and I'll try and paint you the picture of how I fell in love with this art form. And then the stage goes dark, and the music goes. And that puts them in the mindset of watching, you know, of where I was and how I fell in love with it. At the end, it's almost like a double reaction of applause and cheers that I get because I've set that tone and I've said my story.
2: That's fascinating, man. So that's something that has just kind of recently entered the the show. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, I'm, I'm starting to, you know, I'm starting to slow down in my show and, and do more story and, and relate to the audience a lot more. I've always been very um, rapid fire. Um, and that's, that's an asset. And that has its place too, because you're taking on the weight. You're basically moving the show along. You're not asking for anything from the audience and you're just hammering and, uh, and going at a very high pace. And that's great. I love doing that. I I don't ever really want to give that up, but then you got to give the show moments to breathe like that. Um, and I'm finding those moments more and more in my show and I'm finding the value of those, um, and so that's, that's part of a growth of, as, as an entertainer. I'm still growing after all these years.
2: Yeah. And, that's, uh, and I appreciate you sharing that, man, because I think that's fantastic. And I mean, you've conservatively have probably, what, done 30,000, 40,000 hours of <laughs> practice in your craft yeah. and still yeah. getting better in that. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like I said, it's shifted from like how good of a technical juggler can I be? Like how many can I do? You know all that stuff, and then it shifted over to like how good of an entertainer can I be? How how deep can I take an audience? How uh, you know how much joy can I give them? You know because mm-hmm. they're they're all there to forget about their job, to forget about the problem with their kid, like to for, you know all the world's problems are supposed to be gone. They're supposed to be in this hypnotic state where they just lay back. And they lose themselves and they get moved. And man, it's just, it's an awesome gift, um, you know, to give an audience. And that's what, that's what makes us love being up there.
2: Yeah. So what about when the, uh, when you have like a volunteer that comes up and and the laughter you kind of get from that? Is there anything special when it comes to having a volunteer up?
1: Uh, Volunteers
2: are, are such a
1: powerful thing because it's that connection to the audience. You're bringing one of them up there and it's, to the audience, it feels like it's in the moment you know, everything is is happening just for them. It's not scripted, you know? And that's right. a big difference. When you go see a Disney show, they cannot offer what individual artists can. Because it's a scripted show, they have to kind of stick to that. And it's a it's a set story. And not only does the audience know that, but it's just the way uh, the show is put together. Whereas an entertainer, a magician, a hypnotist, whoever it is up there, you know, they have this connection with, them. they're speaking to the audience. They're not speaking their lines. Um, and when you bring an audience volunteer up, it just amplifies that because now their presence as an audience, their representative is on stage. And then everything that happens, I don't have control of. And, and even though I kind of do 80, 90% I'm controlling, but it doesn't look like that. Right. And so now that becomes a different experience for them because they're part of it or the representative is on stage and it's all organic happening in front of them, which makes yeah. it more valuable to them.
2: I love that, man. You know, and it's all those little intricacies that I think about you know, being an expert at your field, man, is, is just so tremendous. What, um, can you walk us through... Like if you're going to introduce a new trick, like what's the design process? Because I remember even seeing on your Instagram account, like you had kind of a diagram set up in terms of the colors and and how that works. But walk us through the process.
1: Yeah, that was on the Instagram post that you're talking about. That was actually the technical side of things. I was redesigning the glow suit, the the routine that you saw. So that's all that was. Uh, Introducing a trick is just, and it's funny, I've just been putting a couple in right now, especially with the... The residency that I have on this uh six month, I'm doing a six month residency on the on the Disney Fantasy. they well it was their flagship. Now their new ship is the wish, but they don't have um outside entertainment on there. It's all in-house. So this is the newest ship that they have entertainment on. Um so I got a six-month uh contract here. And what that means is um I fly off for a week and I fly back for a week. Um and what that gives me is some kind of stability where my team knows everything, everything's set up. I don't even have to travel with gear. So all that time and energy that's spent normally doing that is can be tampered down and I can just focus more on the show. And I'm so in the groove with my team and with the room and all these things that I can introduce more stuff. So I've been doing more things and introducing tricks that I haven't put in before and that I've been working on for a decade you know and and wanted in the show and that actually there's been two tricks actually that have gone in um that i've been wanting in the show uh so that's actually the first time this happened in a while because it always seems like i'm just moving from one place to another and i just don't have that time to uh integrate something new because there's i'm just trying to get everything set you know when i get to the venue mm-hmm. so that's been kind of fun um and i've been enjoying uh just seeing that trick in there uh that's been in my workroom, you know, in my practice for like so many years. And now it's like finally living, breathing on stage. Right. And it's just one second, you know, it's really like, um, uh, I do the trick like two times and it, it takes up, you know, maybe four or five seconds on stage. But to me, it's, it's nice. It's nice to see something you, Technically, not just a new joke or a new setup for a routine or me or speech or a story. It's actually a technical trick, and right. for, it doesn't happen as much as it used to when I was young.
2: Mm-hmm. Your goal about bringing juggling to the next century what what does that look like?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's just as soon as people hear the word juggler, they just have this picture in their head like old school circus or like you know birthday party entertainer, you know, uh, my girlfriend gets really frustrated like <laughs> she, I've been living with my whole life like when people what people think of when they hear the word juggler. Uh but she gets frustrated. Uh but I'm like, you know, I'm 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 kind of trying to reinvent the art form and get people to see it and that there's many ways to present the art form, you know, it's not just um just juggling balls or juggling clubs, you know, you can do a lot of different things with it. Um so, I've really enjoyed giving people a different view of it, of something that I love so much and that's been hard to translate to the public for so many decades, um, or at least the perception of it. Um, <clears throat> so, I want to give it, and, and everybody wants to see something new. You know, They want to see something different. They want to see something updated. They want to see something that they think nobody has seen or is seeing for the first time. And so, those are the kind of routines I like to create. And I think that's what I mean by bringing juggling into the 21st century. I want him to see something nobody's seen. And I want it wrapped in the art that I fell in love with.
2: Mm -hmm. So what do you mean like your girlfriend get upset?
1: Like (laughs) Because uh, she, you know, she sees me do these shows, you know, in front of thousands of people and the kind of reaction, you know, like, multiple standing ovations and, and that, that the the impact my show has and when yeah. she says that I'm a juggler they're like oh my kids having a birthday party can you come over for these 20 people you know it's just like that's them that's the impression that they have that's gotcha. true and so that that frustrates her i think
2: yeah you say yeah it'll be it'll be 20,000 <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you that know cuz a kid <laughs> yeah you know cuz i i love that too because um you know again if i mention mental coach sports psychologist, which I try not to do this, the reaction is the same every, I mean, every time. And that is, well, you couldn't help us out or, well, you know, what kind of free advice can I get and stuff like that. And it's kind of the joke that I'll play on now, yeah. you know, but it, but it wasn't until you like you hear it so many times that look, laughter is the only uh, it's the only medicine for those kind of reactions. Cause right. it's just, it's just not going to play.
1: Right. Right. Um, and, and, and when you're pushing your field, um, like you are, like it, there's there's no understanding of it because you're working either a different tangent or a different level than than that title has ever had. And that's the place I find myself in too.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I pause when I think about it because when you get to a certain level, do you I assume then, There was the point where it's saying yes to everything. Now it's saying no to more. Does that, is that what happens takes place now? Oh yeah. in in the
1: career, um, you know, it's really been wonderful. Um, I say one of the biggest um, things that I don't take for granted, and it happens with everybody as their career accelerates, um, you get more autonomy. You know, that's one of the most valuable things to not have to take everything or not have to always say yes to a gig or a job and to just be very selective. And I am, I'm very selective at this point, uh, not just for, you know, for a lot of reasons for, because it doesn't interest me because I know I'm not going to be of service enough in that situation. Uh, they're not going to compensate me enough or, um, there's, there's all kinds of uh, reasons, but to have that power and to be doing what I love, it's just, it still blows me away. Uh, yeah. but it's important. It's important. Um, or the health of, uh, you know, the love of my career—that I'm not a slave to it. That mm-hmm. that we make decisions together, you know.
2: Right. And I, uh, I appreciate that, man. I, I, um, I love having you on. I love the, you know, the creative process because you are obviously so good at at what you do. Um, I guess one more question I need to ask is. Well, I have two more questions. One is the mental game process, and we spoke about it before, but like, um, talk about even your mental game now in terms of how you like stay sharp.
1: okay. um <clears throat> the uh, the the thing with um my mental state, like when I'm going on stage. When it's a when it's a rinse and repeat show, and as crazy as that sound, when you're stepping on stage in front of fourteen hundred people, it should never be that. But when those instances are happening, I get excited because I I know what's going to happen. You know, I know I'm going to go out on stage, and this this and this. And I know ninety five percent of what's going to happen on stage, right. and then that's great. I enjoy it. So my mental state is like, all right, let me out there. Let me uh, get me out there. You know, and then there are some situations that I get really excited about, like working for a new company and the setup is perfect. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to kill this. They're, they're going to love this. I'm I'm going to get put in front of a whole new set of people and all the all these things. So I get excited about those. And then there're those situations where you have no idea what's going to happen. Like America's got talent like go big show like national tv appearances where everybody's watching and there's so much pressure people are counting on you uh, from producers and then it's going to be immortalized you know it's always going to be on the web and everything so and and you're doing something you've never done too so all those things combine that's when mental toughness is going to be a very big asset and a very big part of what you're doing um and you really have to you know the the big things are your lizard brain you know fear protection is trying to save you but really as you know it's really a, a hindrance it's going to keep you from achieving what you want to do so you have to learn to master to put those things in check you know and and to 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 say no and to say i'm doing this to say i will succeed at this you really have to believe it in your bones in order to execute well and That only comes from those micro situations, like either when you're first starting out and your friends are watching you, and you're like, Oh, I heard you got this new trick. And then you're like, Okay. And then your fear gets the best of you and you can't do it. Next time you learn a little bit, you're like, This is not going to happen again. And you know, you master it a little bit. And these micro situations like escalate until like I'm doing world championships and I've already trained that I need to be in that mental state of I will do this. And those other voices, the fear and the protection mechanisms that are built into our lizard brain dissipate and quiet, and now I'm in control. I would say that's probably the biggest mental toughness that I apply. And I don't need to apply it that often. I only need to apply it in those unique situations that are outside of the scope of what I'm doing or in high-risk situations. And that's when the mental toughness kicks in. And mm-hmm. it's been a learned behavior. Um And you only learn through, and there's some people I'm sure they interview that have a natural aptitude for that. You know, they learn quickly that they need to buckle down and focus and not hear those lizard brain, you know, elements. And then there are some people that took a while and took a lot of failure before they were able to master those voices.
2: Mm -hmm. Charles, what question should I be asking that, uh, that I just haven't asked.
1: I don't know, um you know this is a, this has been a great interview because it's normally talking about career and things uh um you know, not focused on the mental aspects or what goes into it, you know, so I've really enjoyed like you know going on a different style of interview. It's always about my career audiences and things like that, and even though we touched on some of that um I can't nothing nothing comes to mind right now.
2: Want to listen to your favorite music, but you're sick of all the commercial interruptions and negative news today? Tune in to kukoradio.com. Music for your mindset. We're a commercial-free online radio station. playing nothing but hits. Our free iOS and Android apps are available for download at
1: kukoradio.com.
2: Well, one one of the reasons why is because I'm trying to explain to my kids watching your show that, you know they're going to leave there and think, wow, it was just like such a great show. But it impacts me because it's not, maybe the, maybe the passion was God given, right? Maybe the introduction to it, but the hard work and the effort that you cannot fake, and it has to be day in and day out through those really, really dark times. Yeah, um, That was what I was trying to explain to them. Say, look, you know how many times he's done this, right? Like it's, it's you can't count it. But it's every day, it's every day that he does. That's the only way you get to be at that level. Yeah, so that was and like the appreciation it, I have for it.
1: It can, it can, it can be a little frustrating that when people see what I'm doing, um, they just think, oh, "Wow, that's I." You know, even some people think, "Oh, that's not that hard, or I can do it." Like, or some people are just like, "Oh, wow, that's amazing." They don't know the hours that go into it, but no one. can even when they watch a classical pianist that's like, you know, world-class. And that's just part of what we do. There'll never be a full understanding unless there's somebody in our field. And that's why peer approval, I think, is so important to athletes, to artists, because those are the people, the only people that really understand like the level of commitment that you've done. And when they say, wow, man, it just means so much more, you know? And it's okay. I've learned to understand that. And I've also learned that even at uh, a very simple level, if somebody's done what I do, man, people who just can juggle three or even tried really hard to learn to juggle three, when they come out of my show, you could just see it in their eyes. They're just like, oh, my God. And they're like, that was, you know, and they just go on and on and on and on. Whereas other people who've never tried, they're like, oh, that was fun. Oh, that was amazing. Wow. How do you do that? You know, Uh, whereas the people who even try, they know how I do it. Mm -hmm. They know the 40,000
2: hours. Right. All right. Charles, where can uh where do you want people to learn more about you and and just kind of follow your career?
1: Oh, they definitely can do the um social media. I'll just type in my full name, Charles, and then Peachock, P-E-A-C-H-O-C-K, and any of the major platforms, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. They can follow me. And if they want to book me corporate events and private events, uh definitely just go to charlespeachock.com and then you can reach out to me through there.
2: You got it, man. We'll put the links in there, of course, as well. And uh, thank you so much, man, for taking the time. I'm glad I got to watch you, learn you and, and just, you know, uh, become acquainted with you, man, and follow your career. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, I hope to see you out there again sometime.
2: Thanks, man. All right. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. To find out more about Dr. Rob, visit his website at DrRobBell.com or follow him on Twitter at DrRobBell. And subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get the next episode of Mental Toughness as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.